Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. speak louder than words. You know, in all of my meetings, speaking with the premier and the vice premier, they were gracious. They were open. They said that China uh, wants to uh, embrace American business. So now let's back that up with concrete action. That is the secretary of commerce, Gina Raimondo, who I'm not a fan of. Uh, I wasn't a fan of her when she was the governor of Rhode Island. But Walking the line as she's in Shanghai, I, I get that. You're not going to insult Xi Jinping while you're there. But this recognition that China is not just faltering, China is falling. The economics are imploding. Businesses are saying they see China as a place that's uninvestable. Correct. It is uninvestable. So how do we take advantage of this? We want concrete action to back up words from gracious and open Chinese officials. Oddly enough, that's actually rather well said in my view. That's as strong as you're going to be while you're there. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, 833, got Tony, 833-468-8669. That is the number. That's how you get to be a part of the show. Uh, feel free. Uh, a, a lot of the, the news, though, and I will get into a whole thing with uh, China. Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis, is set uh, to be with us Um I'm going to dig into more, but just as an update on uh, Adalia, which is this hurricane. So this took even longer to make landfall than was expected. Uh, This was supposed to make landfall about 1 a.m. This was going to be a little bit more at Cedar Key. So north of of Tampa, north of well, north of Pasco County, but not necessarily at the bend where it becomes the panhandle of Florida. This thing went a little more north. And because of that, it was able to gain more strength and it reached Category 4. It hit, it made landfall Category 3. But from Fort Myers all the way up, it brought some flooding. It pushed water in. Uh, for people who know uh, Clearwater and, and those areas around Tampa Bay, I used to live in, in Tampa Bay. My mother-in-law is still uh, there north of Tampa Bay and Pasco County. Water was coming past 19, U.S. 19. To give you an idea of that's there are some places where, you know, it's close to the coast or some places you're you're a couple miles from the water and the water was coming in. That's some some definite flooding, and we won't know really till tomorrow what that level uh, of damage is is going to be. We don't know where that's going to be at. Um, but if if I see it right, and I'm watching some of these tracks, this thing is now well into Florida. As a matter of fact, we're now into Georgia with this. It's pushing a little bit more north while it's absolutely tracking Savannah. It's also creating rain conditions in Macon, which means it's probably already creating rain conditions in Atlanta. Uh, This is got tropical storm warnings. Uh, It's a hurricane warning in Savannah, Georgia, but you got tropical storm warnings, Charleston, uh, all the way in in South Carolina, all the way through Hatteras. Uh, So 
this thing is going to hit the Atlantic and then curve out uh, to to well to the east, and it might actually, you know, spin up again. It might actually gain strength. They're not done with this thing. I almost it's it's a horrible thing to say. Like this could have been worse. That's what it's looking at right now. But I, I we might not know the flood damage. I'm talking about the wind damage and the and things like that. We might not know the flood damage. Until until tomorrow, when we really see things, we know that Fort Myers, which already took the hit from that previous storm about it, oh, was it a year ago? Uh, they're still dealing with things and uh, they've gotten a good bit of flooding. Now, as I said yesterday, I am not going to get myself insane on this storm. Because those of you who follow me over at TonyCats.com, uh, the political left and the news media is going to make this storm political. Of course they are. It's going to be less than an hour after the storm is through Florida, and they're going to wonder why it is uh, that Ron DeSantis hasn't helped more black Americans. That's going to be it. You know it, and I know it, and it's despicable, and it's awful. They are going to make this storm political, and I, 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 don't, I don't want a single part of that. And I actually stated, if you, if you follow me over at TonyCats.com, I did a video yesterday, and I stated that I will not be surprised. I did this yesterday. I will not be surprised if the DeSantis administration uh, reaches out to, to FEMA, federal officials, where there's dollars and op- other opportunities. Hey, we need this, that, or the other. And it won't come quickly as a way of doing political damage to DeSantis. I have no doubt. And you say to me, Tony, that is a dark, dark, dark thought. And I'll say to you, I agree. You better believe it is. But why in the world would I have any faith in this administration? Look at how political they are with with President Trump. Look at how the political they are by telling you that, you know, everything is 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 going great. This is a cringe on Pierre on Bidenomics. Obviously, the president travels across the country uh, pretty regularly to talk about invest and in how he's investing in America, how he's lowering costs for Americans. That is one of the, as he speaks about Bidenomics, lowering costs for Americans uh, is clearly one of uh, uh, one of his top priorities. So you'll continue to hear from the president about this particular issue and other ways that he, uh, that uh, Bidenomics is working for American families and the economy as well. They have no compunction in 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 lying to you they have no compunction in uh is is that the right word um they have uh they're totally willing to lie to you how about that how about that is compunction the right word hold on a second a strong uneasiness caused by a sense of of, of guilt no nope, then compunction's not the right word um uh, they don't give a good holy damn if they lie to you see there it is who am i to try and use some vocabulary like i'm fancy well, when I said that I fear that this is going to be political, that was yesterday. When I said I fear that help won't get to the people of Florida like it needs to because it's political, that was yesterday. This was Marco Rubio on Fox News today. 
that uh, hurricane recovery and things of this nature continue to be one of the few things that's left out there that's nonpartisan and nonpolitical. So, you know, I'm encouraged that the president's continued that tradition, at least in his response. We have a more fundamental problem, and that is a disaster relief uh, fund inside of FEMA is woefully low. We knew that back in June. That Since June, I've been trying to get money into it, knowing we're going into hurricane season, not knowing we're going to have fires in Maui and so forth. And they don't have enough money uh, to, to do any of this so moving forward, especially as we get into recovery, when you add in the storm and you add in the fires in Maui. And, and by the way, there's a bunch of previous storms where the reimbursements to local governments are still on the pipeline. And what they've said is two things. The first is they're going to use the limited money they have left to prioritize these new storms ahead of the reimbursements from the old storms. And that's a real problem for local governments. But the more nefarious one, and the one I hope they back off on, is they've been saying, we'll do disaster relief but we're going to pair it up with Ukraine funding. Turns out, I kind of know what I'm saying. Admittedly, that is the first I have heard of it. The first I have heard of saying disaster relief gets paired up with Ukraine funding. Maybe that's been a conversation that's been happening. I just didn't notice, didn't hear, focused on other things, what have you. He starts off by saying, encouraged by the president's response, that recovery is is nonpartisan and hope that continues. But clearly, that's not what's continuing. Disaster relief has nothing to do with Ukraine and should have nothing to do with Ukraine. Making sure that Americans are taken care of after a disaster, if we believe that is the role of the federal government to begin with, that still has nothing to do with whether or not we provide bullets to Ukraine to repel the Russian invasion. No one, regardless of political party, could argue against such a thing. But someone who is partisan, Someone who is wholly political on every level, who understands and lives by the concept of never let a crisis go to waste. Only that person says, oh, yeah, we should tie these things together. Oh, they're not going to say no to disaster relief. (laughs) We're going to get what we want. Our conversation regarding Ukraine is an important one. And I know that some people disagree with me. Some people agree with me regarding my take. I don't mind paying for bullets. I have a serious issue with paying for economic assistance. And if we're going to give uh, some people retirement funds, I'm out. I won't give them a dime. I will give them bullets. I will not put troops on the ground. I have enough issue with training them in Ukraine or even in Poland. Bullets I'll give. And the people who say, oh, you're just getting America into more wars. Look, uh, uh, Tucker has his point of view and I have mine. And I, I, I don't uh, somehow default to Tucker Carlson. I'm not angry with the dude. I just think that in this situation, he's wrong. I think that there is a line and I think that there is a limit regarding what the United States should do. I never favored uh, uh, no-fly zones. Of course, that was an invitation to war with Russia, I don't want it. 
But the idea that you don't get involved because what you can do is bring Russia to the table and make them more of an ally is is childlike. And I'm not saying that that's Tucker Carlson's position, but that is certainly a position of of uh, of populists and and of people on the right. Vivek Ramaswamy is fundamentally wrong in 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 this approach. Wanting to try and have a relationship with Russia is different than the recognition of what it is Russia is after. And you cannot bring Russia to the table and end their alliance with China because that simply isn't how anything works. China needs oil. Russia needs to sell oil. China will buy all the oil. We're done here. We're done. There's nothing else to talk about. When it came to breaking the Soviet Union, we engaged in our own exploration and we pushed aggressively to bring oil prices down around the globe. That way Russia couldn't make money and they were broken in two. That is one of the economic ways we defeated the Soviet Union. The rules have somehow changed. You want to defeat the Soviet Union. I'm sorry, Russia. Doesn't matter. It's Vladimir Putin. He still thinks of it as the Soviet Union. Well, now you can't uh, as effectively utilize the price of oil because China will buy anything, all of it, build up their own reserves. That relationship is too incestuous. And when... The money starts being lent via China, to the extent that it isn't already, to Russia, and Russia can't pay the bill. Don't worry. There's a lot of natural resources that Russia can offer. You see this everywhere. Why do you think China invests in South American countries and in African countries? Because they really care? They don't give a good holy damn. It's about buying the country, and when the country can't pay back the debt service, well, don't worry. There are rare earth minerals and other things that the Chinese can get. This is what they're doing. And the, the, the world watches, and there really isn't any level of, of, of lesson that can be taught to China. You can't really make them stop. You, you could try. I mean, I don't know what, what kind of worldwide legislation you think can happen here. You cannot stop Russia and China in terms of their alliance together. What you can do is get Russia out of Ukraine to keep them from being on Poland's doorstep. But yes, you then have the Russia is vassal state conversation, which I would argue already is. Russia is the Chinese vassal state. Thus, there's no ending the relationship. And Vivek was wrong to say that it can be done, breaking the Russia-China alliance. It can't be done. The only way it can be done is by breaking China. And there's a whole conversation about what's going on there. We'll get into it. But no one, even if you were to agree or disagree with me about Ukraine, right? We could sit on the bar stool, drink a bourbon and have this this, this disagreement about just it's a question of philosophy. No one thinks that you should tie Ukrainian aid to um, disaster relief for Florida or Maui or any place else. No one believes this. No rational person believes this. No decent person believes this. So remember it got said here first. And let us hope it never happens. But I don't have any faith in this administration at all. I'm Tony Katz.
election interference. No matter what anybody thinks of, of, of Trump, what has happened with these trials is election interference. And it doesn't matter what MSNBC or CNN say. It is One of the things that's been a great pleasure, and this election has shown itself to be a little bit different, the power of cable news is not as strong. To say that they have no power is ridiculous. I saw some people say, look at how many people, excuse me, gosh, I sneezed in the morning. On my morning show, I sneezed on air. Now I'm coughing. What is happening to me? Is it... Is it the COVID? Is that it? Do I have the COVIDs? But this whole place sucks. Oh, no. That's anything, right, it sucks. Anything but that. <laughs> Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Uh, somebody said, look at how many uh, views Tucker Carlson got in the interview with Donald Trump. It just proves that cable news is, is dead. It's not dead. Social media didn't kill TV. It's not going to kill cable news. It's super impressive. And let's not deny the power when, when Tucker can get that many people to watch. That, that's real. It's a force. It, it has to be recognized and, and, and respected. It's, it's not dead. What it is is that it's not the only game in town, which is wonderful. It, it's 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 really good to see people exercising their ability to say, yeah, now nah, let's see what else is out there. Let me get a different point of view. Well, one of the growing points of view is that it is very obvious, very obvious that uh, placing trial dates for the day before Super Tuesday is election interference. Trump being on trial a week before a caucus is election interference. And uh, Hugh Hewitt, who is uh, a radio host um, and, and an author, he was doing an interview with progressive Ro Kahana, who on the free speech stuff manages to speak a language I like. And even he in this conversation, even when confronted with the facts, is like, well, we can change this, right? You know, here's what I think is going to happen. Uh, I think either pre- the former President Trump is going to be the nominee or not be the nominee. Uh, if, if he's the nominee, uh, my guess is that the, uh, there's going to be a consideration on uh, the, the uh, consideration for Republican, uh, the Republican nominee to be able to uh, campaign and the trial dates will take that into account. And if he's not the nominee, uh, then the trials will move on. But I, I think the judges will look at this in real time to make sure that they're not interfering in any way with the election process uh, while still having the court calendar uh, move. Well, you may you may have jet lag still. She set the trial date for the federal trial in D.C. for the Monday before Super Tuesday. She did that that yesterday. Yeah, but she said it yesterday. The the prosecutors wanted January. Trump said 2026. She compromised on the day before. And I just think it's outrageous. I think it's a terrible insult to our idea, uh, our fundamental commitment to fair uh, proceedings. And I wonder if it resonates with you that way as well. Well, I'm not sure that that's going to be the actual date at the at the end of the day. I mean, there are appeals. There's an ability to move it. I mean, let's see what happens. Yes, let's see what happens. You're right. It could be different. But only because we notice and we are engaged in the importance of this conversation outside of where the cable news outlets are that refuse to address this issue. 
That's why. Talk radio has never been more important. New media has never been more important. Of course. Of course. They call it justice for Jaden. Can we take a breath, please? This Gadsden flag story, it, it, it matters for a whole host of reasons. But let's not get nuts. I'm Tony Katz. first broke about this kid, this 12-year-old wearing the Gadsden flag patch, I I immediately said, okay, this is going to be one of those stories that the political right flocks to, and they make this kid some kind of hero, and they're not even, there's going to be no paying attention to the story itself. Maybe, just maybe, we need to take a second, take a breath, take a beat, and figure out what this is all about, because this is more than how people treat the Gadsden flag. This is about whether a 12-year-old has rights in a school because the school said you can't wear the Gadsden flag patch. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. We're talking about the the yellow uh, background, the rattlesnake. Don't tread on me. Right? That's that's the Gadsden uh, flag. And, and it has... A story like there's there's a different version where it's broken up into uh, the the 13 colonies, and it's really a, a, a symbol of unity uh, going back to the Revolutionary War. Benjamin Franklin had had uh, utilized the Gadsden flag, and the first time I came across it was uh, during the days of the Tea Party. You guys know that I'm an original Tea Party guy. If you take a look at, uh, they've written things like the original, the original founders of the Tea Party. I don't know, I, I don't know, original founder. That's the guy. That's Rick Santilli from CNBC, who said we need to have a nationwide Tea Party where we're talking about uh, the the increased government intervention, the the spending, and and, and everything else. Um, he's he's the guy. He did that thing. But I was I was there, an original uh, organizer, and, and and everything else, uh, and and the Tea Party. Um, I wish had had success. I gave it my, I gave it my all. I gave it my shot. It didn't have the success. We didn't stop the spending. We weren't able to, uh, get, uh, serious electoral victories throughout. Uh, we didn't have the the best candidates, but certainly from that has, has never left this idea of it's okay to speak up and it's only gotten louder. And I think that the election of, of president Trump was the, was the big shot of repudiation to all of the standards, right? What we call the establishment. Uh, that, that no, no, none of this is working for us. Gotta try something different. You people aren't good for you, me and we. You're just not good for us. So if, if anything, if the Tea Party helped at least bring the conversations to these kinds of moments that we're seeing now, we saw in 2016, saw in 2020, seeing today, I, I feel good about that. But as a, as a movement in and of itself, no, it didn't do the job. It was it was a solid attempt, but not perfectly executed. I've learned a lot since then. I only hope that other people have. Some people still try and make their fame and make their money uh, on the Tea Party. I don't personally get it. I think you gotta evolve. I think you gotta find other ways, better ways, stronger ways. Certainly, anything that tea, the Tea Party did, and I will give you its its level of success. Think of all the hate the Tea Party got, and it still attracted people to the cause. 
it still attracted people to events, even with all the hate at, at the time of specifically MSNBC, um, before it was just a radically left outfit. Um, it still was a, a, a success in people being interested in what it was all about and the events and everything else. That part has always stuck with me. But the Gadsden flag I, I, I saw a lot in, in, in those days, and it has uh, this history in America. Well, there's this, this, this kid, right? Um, this kid who uh, had, had a, a Gadsden flag patch in school on his uh, backpack. And he got called into the office of his school and was like, oh, no, no, you can't, you can't have that patch. You can't, you can't be uh, wearing that. Um, No, no, no. Kicked out of class was this kid because it was disruptive to the classroom environment and has, quote, origins with slavery, unquote. An employee was upset by it. Now, in the end, this kid has has won. Um, Jaden is allowed to attend school with the Gadsden flag patch visible on his backpack. So let's break this up into two very important parts. First, the idea of whether or not kids in school have free speech. And the answer is they don't. Don't get it twisted. I have no issue with the Gadsden flag patch. Kids don't have free speech. They absolutely do not. They are not adults. They do not have a full level of rights. And schools have the right to say, we don't allow this and we don't allow that. And different school districts and different municipalities can decide different rules. Of course they can. They could say you can't wear a shirt that has uh, profanity on it. You, you can't uh, wear, wear something that's too revealing. Of course they can make those kinds of decisions. You would agree with that. And that has to apply to the idea of the patch. The school can set a standard and the school can say no. And the 12-year-old does not have rights. Now, I know that that rubs some people the wrong way. Those people need to take a step back from the emotional side of this, where I will get to in a second, I promise, because you have an argument. I'll get to it. Trust me. And you must step aside from the emotional and get to this reality. If we believe that boys can't say they're girls and girls can't say they're boys, if we believe that children can't decide their medical this, if we believe that children shouldn't have the the ability to vote, if we believe uh, that parents need to be informed of this, that, and the other, we have to, by definition, go down the line and say that there absolutely is no right to speech for a student. When students decide they're going to have a walkout for environmental justice and the teachers applaud this, the teachers should be fired and the kids should not be allowed to walk out. If they walk out, they should be expelled because the kid has to go to school. This is the rules that we've set up in the country. The kid goes to school. The kid doesn't have the right to disrupt the class. The kid doesn't have the right to walk out. None of that stuff because they don't have the rights. They don't have the rights. I follow my my line of reasoning all the way through to the end. So I wanted to make sure that we understand, that we start with a baseline, 
that a school can decide we don't allow this and we don't allow that and we don't allow the other. They can. And as I have argued, I think they should. Now, this is where your argument and the other argument comes into play. A school doesn't allow the Gadsden flag patch, but they'll allow a Black Lives Matter flag. They'll allow a quote-unquote trans flag. They'll allow a pride flag. These are all political symbols. They're not lovely, sweet organizations. They are political symbols. There's only one flag. It's the flag of the United States. Can I tell you, I'm not even a fan of the thin blue line flag. I get its purpose. I don't like a manipulation of the American flag. Whether it's a flag of the 13 colonies or whether it's it's a flag of all 50 states or you happen to have a flag that shows 37 stars on it, whatever the case may be, the American flag throughout history is fine. That's our flag. But we have school districts that want to put up Black Lives Matter flags and all these things, and the answer is no, absolutely not. Teachers are allowed to express themselves and express their politics in the classroom. Are you criminally insane? Of course not. Teach math. Shut your mouth. That's your job. It's a weird, weird thing over the last, uh, I guess I'd say two decades. Maybe it's a little longer. Maybe it's a little less, I guess, depending. Where we, we worry about teachers being able to express themselves in the classroom. Why can't teachers talk about their sexuality in the classroom? Why should they? Why should a math teacher be talking about their dating life in a classroom of middle schoolers or high schoolers? Why? That's weird. Why does the teacher think, or, or anybody else think that the teacher can think that their classroom is this captive audience for their performance art? If they want to go put on a one-man show above the bowling alley uh, in, in the 32-person theater, go right ahead. But the classroom isn't your personal theater where you get to act out and express yourself and lecture politically to kids who are trapped there. And Black Lives Matter flags and trans flags and, and pride flags are all political flags. Now, if you tell me a history class has a flag from all the countries uh, uh, across uh, 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 the globe, I'll say to you, okay, okay. They've got flags uh, from uh, every country across the globe. That's fine. It's a history class. We could rationalize that and say that makes perfect sense. The only reason to have the gay pride flag, which is no longer just the rainbow, it's this hodgepodge of things, and there's a chevron in there. I, I can't figure out how they came to all the colors, but that's about a political movement of progressivism named Marxism, and it has no place in the classroom. And teachers who demand that flag be, be shown in their classroom should be fired and lose their pensions and lose their teaching licenses because they're not interested in teaching the subject. They're interested in moving an ideology and we shouldn't allow that in the classroom. And parents and municipalities and neighborhoods and societies should stand up and say, we don't do that. You want to start a club and do that. Oh, we're all about the clubs for, for, for sure. There, there's, there's no problem there. You go start uh, your, your club. You go start your organization. Makes perfect sense. You're allowed to meet with other like-minded people and have conversations. You're an American. You have that right. In the classroom is different. You have a job to do, and your job does not include sharing your political thoughts with my kid. 
Keep your political thoughts to your damn self, which is a weird thing for a radio host to say, except I'm paid to do this. This is actually my job. If I was a teacher, I don't think I would be able to do this. If I wanted to do this, I would quit teaching and try and do this. The teacher has the right to set rules in the classroom. The teacher does not have the right to utilize the classroom for their political ends and the indoctrination of students. And schools have the absolute right to tell teachers, no, as a matter of fact, they should. The part that is so emotional here is that you send this kid home, you try and chastise him for wearing this flag, yet teachers all over the place will tell you how wrong it is that you tell them they can't have this flag or that flag because the flag shows how welcoming and inclusive they are. If you have a Black Lives Matter flag, you are not inclusive. You're telling me that I, because the color of my skin, am either A, not welcome, or B, in your eyes, a problem. Of course, this is how it's politically played out. The organization Black Lives Matter is a Marxist organization based in hate that doesn't believe in the nuclear family and believes in its destruction, took millions and millions of dollars from companies desperate to buy their freedom and didn't do a holy damn bit of good for black Americans. Minneapolis shop owners amongst the many others who never got an ounce of help and only got their businesses destroyed from riots 2020-2021 destroyed you think patrice colors did anything for them no she got herself a few houses she got her family members a whole bunch of that money but nobody else they got anything they didn't get squat it is about a political movement it isn't about people's lives and therefore it has no room in the classroom and any teacher who thinks it does again shouldn't be allowed to teach the trans flag is about a political movement. And anybody who carries that flag in their classroom is somebody who it would seem obvious, although I couldn't say it's a certitude of every teacher, believes that things should be kept from parents. Oh, we won't tell your parent. Oh, no, we'll call you this and we'll do that. You can change here. Teachers who have closets where kids can change their clothes to be their authentic selves and keep that from parents. That's what I see when I see that flag. It is, of course, political and has no place in the classroom. And yet these teachers will tell you, far too many teachers will tell you, oh, we should have the right to do this, we should have the right to do that. How dare you tell me how I relate to my students? They're not yours, they're ours. That's the difference. So on the emotional side of this, man, I, I understood it from the beginning. I got it from the beginning where people were, I just wanted to make sure I understood the story. Am I glad this kid can wear the patch? Sure. Absolutely. Because it's nothing more than a part of history. Now, if a kid wanted to wear a patch that was a Confederate flag, how would everybody feel about that? And that's the part that people on the right just love to miss and they don't want to talk about. They just want to talk about, look at these horrible leftists and look at this 12-year-old standing up. Hashtag justice for Jaden. Guys, guys, I'm not mad at this kid and I have no problem with the patch at all. We just have to ask ourselves, what is it that we're actually saying when we go about uh, like, like exalting 
children, we shouldn't use children as political pawns. And what is it that we're actually saying? And how far does it go? How would we feel about somebody wearing the Confederate flag patch? How would we feel about name the thing? Maybe the schools shouldn't be places for uh, political posturing. I don't think the Gadsden flag is actually political posturing. I don't think the Gadsden flag is something that you fight about. It is part of American history, if you, if you will, that has no connection to these things that the left wants it to say it has connection to. But maybe there's a little bit of a deeper conversation here. But I'm not going to listen to the left lecture about what isn't isn't acceptable in the classroom when they think that teachers should be able to have all this kind of propaganda in their classrooms. How about we just get back to teaching? And how about we send our students wanting to learn and not sending them as some kind of political pawn? I'm right. I'm wrong. Let me know. Uh, Twitter or uh, Tony at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz today. India is taking the temperature of the moon. The Chandrayaan 3, which landed on the south pole of the moon, is now taking temperature readings. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. So India is now full in on, on the space race. Which is no longer, uh, I think, a, a race conversation, but but rather a, a conversation about what can you do with it? What can you do with your uh, exploits in space? What can you do when you're landing on the moon? When China sent a probe, oh, they landed a probe on the dark side of the moon. Isn't that cool? No, 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 no. This is about China trying to militarize, weaponize the moon. It sounds so crazy. It sounds so out there. It's so completely factual. India's in on this now, which I would say, cool, India still takes oil from Russia. India is, is, should be an ally and a nation we should do a lot of work with. And India has its own aspirations and desires. These things are fascinating and worth keeping up with, for sure. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. Today.